My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. And we're back. Welcome to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. My co-host Jason Bryant's on assignment in San Francisco. So if you watched the podcast last week, you would have seen that our guest was uh, my good friend here and brother, James Willock. This was the second time he was on our show, and he did so well, we thought we'd bring him back. <laughs> Thank you. Good to have you, brother. It's good to James, be here. James, uh, you, uh, you're not officially working for Crop yet, but we know that you're coming on soon. Yes. You're one of the best coaches, transformational coaches that I've ever encountered. We have a fantastic guest today, but would you take a minute to introduce yourself with some of the work you're doing out here in Sacramento? Yes, thank you. Um, so I'm James Willock. I'm a community intervention worker for Mutual Assistance Network, and what that means is I go out in the community, I case manage, I mentor, um, we do street teams. We just let the community know what resources we have, and then we pro- we provide them or we find someone who can. Um, I also am a crisis responder for Black Child Legacy Campaign, and what that entails is showing up at crisis. So, um, you know, whatever the crisis is, whether it's third-party homicide, whether it's, you know, um, a teen ODing, whatever it is, we'll, we'll show up and we'll try to just wrap around the victims, um, the families, and we just try to support them all the way through uh, whatever they're going through. And the whole thing about Black Child Legacy Campaign, it was designed a few years ago to bring down the death toll of Blacks in Sacramento because they die at an enormous rate higher than everybody else from prenatal care, infant sleep, neglect and abuse, and then, of course, third-party homicide. So, Thank you, yeah. James. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And now we want to welcome uh, Fritzy Horseman. And um, one of the reasons that I thought it was perfect to have James here today is because he it takes tremendous amount of empathy and compassion to do what he does. And also with you, Fritzy Horseman, you're a servant leader, a visionary, a world changer. I've only been on uh, one phone call and one Zoom with you, but uh, it was just uh, you heard about me and Crop, I think, from Ed Borla, uh, formerly captain at uh, Soledad, where I was at for 18 years, and James was at for at least 10 years. And uh, I didn't know he uh, – we, apparently we left a good impression. I always thought that he saw the humanity in us, and he was one of the, one of the good guys who was um, providing time and space for us to do programs to change lives in there. And um, so we got on an email and um, and um, you said you asked me we got on a phone call and then you asked me, have you seen uh, Step Inside the Circle? And I said, I said, no, I haven't. You said, well, go watch that and um, and then call me back. And then we were <laughs> we ended up being on a two to three hour Zoom. And uh, now we're like family. So <laughs> that's how I feel. Welcome to the Prison Post. Oh, thank you so much, Richard and James, for having me. I'm. So honored to be with such extraordinary men who are, I was making me cry, just who are, have been changing the prison system from within and now changing it on the outside. And it's people like you that we need to see so we can, so society can change the way they perceive people that live in prison. Because the thing I keep saying to people in prison is you're not bad. You did a bad thing, but you're not a bad person. And that's the key difference here. In, in the message that we need to get out to society is that everyone in prison is traumatized. And I don't care who it is, a guard, a staff member, and especially the, the incarcerated men and women, um, we have to let them know that they're traumatized so that we can give them tools to heal. And you guys are on the front lines of that. So I really appreciate that. Thank well, you, Fritzy. I was just going to say, yeah, we appreciate the work you're doing. And, um, to the narrative that you're sharing is is so important because like you said, it's everybody in prison it, it, yeah, obviously the, the people that are incarcerated do um, suffer from trauma probably before they went in. And of course, after they went in, but it's so important to know that the guards, the staff from whether they're just the free staff that work in the culinary or they're the medical staff, they witness so much, that they are traumatized and and they do have to be aware of that because most of them are not even aware of it. And the other part of this, and this is the thing I'm just learning is a thing called moral injury Mm. and moral injury is an injure is, is, is a soul injury. Mm. And 
it affects you similar to PTSD. And if you look at the officers, and so I would say that the people in prison, they've suffered a moral injury by the crimes they've committed. That's, that's first off. But then you see the officers and, you know, they're, they're, um, their survival rate, they, the life expectancy of a correctional officer is 59 years old. So something's going on there. And I don't think it's just PTSD, but I think it's PTSD because everyone's in survival mode, but they're, they're living through moral injuries. Anyone who takes someone to solitary and works in that solitary unit, they call it ad seg or uh, restrictive housing. Well, that's solitary. Let's just call it what it is. Anyone who's going in there is suffering a moral injury because they know what they're doing is not okay. But then just putting someone in a cell every night, um, making them stop to do count, you know, all these things that disrupt the flow of, of a human life is a moral injury. And it's, this is one of the conversations I really want to start bringing out into the public because what happens is they feel like they're burnt out, but what it is, it, the soul cannot keep doing the job. And that's why we don't have officers um, wanting to work in prisons anymore. People don't want to work in prisons anymore. And so, I mean, it's the moral injury that exists in prison. It's, it's soul breaking. And we all know this, we all know, know this on a, on an instinctive level, but now we just have to talk about it. So it will change. And I'm so glad that you bring that up because um, I mean, we've done uh, almost 60 episodes now and this is the 42nd one on, on video cast and no, we haven't had that conversation yet. And that conversation needs to come to the forefront because there's a lot of hatred out there and, and uh, for the for the officers. And we don't we don't just believe in healing for the currently or formerly incarcerated. We believe in the healing for them, too. And you're one of the few people and we'll get into that in, in the show in a minute. You're one of the f- few people that I've ever heard of that actually does workshops with them as well. And uh, we're grateful for that. And the other thing I want to address before giving you a formal introduction, a little bit about your background is what you just said a minute ago. That um, about not being bad people. One of the purposes of the prison post is to transform the the way people think about the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated. Uh, a lot of what they get is from movies or, you know, law and order where the solution is put them away for life because once a criminal, always a criminal. And I think I think I had that perspective in there for many years of that. I am bad and this is who I am and this is where I'm supposed to be <clears throat> and this, this is who I am. And it took me a good 10 years to shake that identity. And um, it's hard to do when you wake up every day with concrete, you wake up every day being called inmate, you wake up every day to get counted. It's a reminder on a daily basis of, um, of who you're supposed to think yourself to be according to some. And um, I reject that today. So I think I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and when you think about it, um, someone who's never been to prison, um, they to have that type of uh, narrative in their mind that you know you're, they're bad regardless, lock them away. And then if you talk to them or about a personal mistake or or bad choice that they've made or one that their close family members have made, they'll they'll say, hey, you're not as bad as your worst decision, you know. And but so okay, why 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 does that? only rang true for someone who's been convicted and sent to prison. But if I didn't get sent to prison, then it's okay. And I can go again. That's, that's a bad narrative. Yes. And you see people getting off like Kyle Rittenhouse and um, uh, these white boys that are, are raping people. And so wait, they're getting a second chance without even going to prison. They're getting a second chance and they're saying, well, this person isn't bad. He's not a bad person. Okay. I agree, but there's 1.8 million people in prison that we've said they're bad and they need to be locked up. So right. where's the justice in that situation? Right. And, and the other thing you said was the officers are working in solitary confinement. I think that um, mm-hmm. we I always like to say that we could never have committed crime if we were empathizing with other people on their property. But you have to cut off empathy to be able to harm someone. If you're putting yourself in someone else's shoes or we like to define empathy as your pain in my heart. If we had that for others at the time, we wouldn't, we, there's no way you can harm someone. 
but you have to cut it off. And I think to go year after year in solitary confinement as an officer, it's almost like you have to cut off empathy towards towards people. And I remember being found suitable and going to the COs that I knew for 10, 15 years, be like, hey, man, I'm going home, you know? And I expected them to be happy, like, right on, and finally shake my hand for the first time or something. And there was, I mean, probably only one of them, um, one of them before I left, did do that and saw and I experienced the humanity from and from him and the happiness actually it was two, but the rest, it was, there was like a glaze over their eyes. Like, why would you go home? You know, this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I got a, a story like real quick from since I've been out, um, you know, the work that I'm doing and, you know, and you know, the work that I've done before I even um, came home from prison. And so one of the, the people that we're connected with, um, he asked me one day when I saw him, he said, hey, so how are you doing? Or, you know, do you have a stable job? Like, are you working? Mm-hmm. But, like, in a real condescending way, like, I wasn't supposed to be working. You know, right. like, I'm just supposed to be out here waiting on my opportunity to go back to prison or something. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I was like, wow, okay. Sorry. This is really how they see it. And this is someone who we really helped and worked hard to make their program successful. Mm-hmm. And this is, the you know, the mentality that he has towards us. But I think about empathy. I think the reason you're able to commit a crime is you've cut off the empathy to yourself. And Mm. that's the thing about trauma. And that's what I'm, that's why I focus on trauma is because trauma separates you. It makes you feel like you're isolated, that you are on your own. You don't have anybody else who's looking out for you. Even when you join a gang, even when you connect with other people, you still feel like you're not, part of anything. And that's in that moment is when, you know, the world crashes down for most of us. I remember the day I felt I was separate from my parents. I was like, it's over. I mean, I'm on my own. And that gives the permission to do whatever you want. When you don't have responsibility to your parents, to your community, you know, because no one's really taking care of you. No one's taking care of the child the way he needs to be taken care of, which is seen, honored, revered, loved. And that's, that's because the people that are raising um, people who end up in prison are so stressed out, you know, probably on some level addicted to something or Mm -hmm. on some level addicted to violence. You know, violence is the go-to in these communities. And that's what was learned to get, that's the way to get you into prison. And same with me. I was probably three steps away from being in prison. But the thing I had was someone said, you know what, Fritzy, you can do whatever you want. You can do, you can be somebody. And that's, that's what you guys are doing now is you're saying, wait a second, you were told a lie. You can be somebody. And so everyone in prison, all they need is someone who believes in them Yep. and some support. And you've got just a regular person. You're there. It's their back. And but I would argue most people in society needs somebody who believes in them and to know that we're enough and really seriously that we are enough. You're enough. I'm enough. I don't need to prove myself with my job, with, you know, with the clothes I wear, with the the car I drive, all of that stuff is built in stress and built in lies we are enough, even if I'm driving a little Kia or whatever it is, I'm enough. And, you know, I still want a Tesla because it's <laughs> such a pretty car. Mm-hmm. But I I hesitate even buying it because then I'm suddenly buying into what I'm being sold. And that sale, that sale is soul destroying again. It's another moral injury. We're dealing with moral and Amazon is a moral injury. And... um so I just want to say you're enough and really think about the car you're driving because is what is it saying? And no shame if you're driving a Tesla. I don't want to shame anyone. But what is the reason? And what are you trying to tell the world? Or what are you trying to tell yourself that finally I've arrived, I've got a Tesla, but then what's the next thing, right? What's the right. next thing? Yep. Jeff Bezos, how much is enough? You've got everything. You've got the world. What else do you need? And now he needs Mars, Right. <laughs> yeah, when are you willing to invest uh, uh, back? Uh, I think about we we have a conversation in our coaching that we call competing conversations. Out here in this world, there's so many competing conversations, whether uh, externally or 
internally and not a lot of them are saying you're enough. And that's why I, I even like looking at that jewelry that people buy that says you're enough or they have it on rings and necklaces and getting that for people or, or putting a post-it note on your on your computer screen, you know, just to see it and internalize it and get it so that it becomes a natural ex- expression of how you think and who you are. But that doesn't come easy. I mean, it, it took it took it took for us many years, especially with some of the harsh competing conversations. And I can't wait to show our audience the video that you directed of some of what you do. But first, let me just tell them a little bit more about who you are. Of course, you're the founder and executive director of the Compassion Prison Project. You uh, uh, have the acronym CPP. I don't know if you've ever heard of what CPP in, in prison is, but uh, that when you go to the counselor on your annual, they'll, they'll see you for about five minutes and say CPP, Continue Prison Pro, Continue Present Program. Just Keep doing what you're doing. There's there's no counseling. <laughs> just, yeah. It just come back next year if <laughs> unless we're shipping you out. But <laughs> but um, CPP Compassion Prison Project, the better CPP. And it's an organization dedicated to creating trauma informed prisons and communities and bringing creative inspiration to all men and women living and working in prisons. All men and women living and working in prisons with ninety five percent. A lot of people don't know this statistic. Ninety five percent of the incarcerated men and women eventually do return home. And you, Fritzy, you believe that it's imperative that we address the chronic chronic mental health issues in prison with common sense, compassion, and urgency. In 2020, um, you directed Step Inside the Circle, or we're going to show in a second here, at California State Prison, Los Angeles County. Is that what many of us know as Lancaster? Yes. Lancaster, okay. With 235 incarcerated men. So I, I I don't know of many programs that hit that many people at one time, but the video today has reached nearly 3 million views worldwide and it has impacted over 900 volunteers at Compassion and has attracted over 900 volunteers to your program, um, the Compassion Prison Project. Fritzy and the team at CPP are in production, creating a 12-part series entitled Trauma Talks. I watched the first one this morning. It's powerful. And um, and um, you're going to you plan on distributing them to prisons in the U.S. and abroad. And you just launched that this last September of this year. Is that right? Yes. And we're already in Kenya. Scotland is interested. Um, the U.K. is interested. Ireland is interested. South Africa is interested. Um, we launched it at Valley State Prison in California. We're about to launch at Salinas Valley. Uh, CTP is CTP. Is that right? That's the name, right? Uh, CP. Anyway, another prison right next to Salinas is interested. Oh, CTF. Yeah, CTF. CTF. Got mm-hmm. these acronyms. <laughs> Correctional training facility. Yes. Who are they training? I wonder. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, what are they training? Um, yes, and and Nebraska is going to launch it in two prisons, one jail, and um, one community center. And Ohio. We're talking to Utah. We're talking to Montana. So. Um, it's on, it's yeah. on and we're just getting started. Absolutely. Right. World changer. That's why I said in the beginning, I knew it, you know, this kind of stuff catches fire. It's powerful. Yeah. And, uh, if you want to see any of other, uh, Fritzy's work, she produced, uh, HBO's the defiant ones directed by Alan Hughes, which has garnered several awards, including a Grammy for best music film. Your first feature, take a number, um, which which you wrote, produced, directed, and debuted at the Slam Dance Festival and premiered on HBO as well. I, I haven't seen these yet. I'm now um, excited. We had a graduation this last week, but um, I'm going to watch all your stuff. But uh, you studied at New York University's summer film program and received a Bachelor of Arts in Film and, Eng- and English from Vassar College. Again, Fritzy, we're so honored to have you on the show and to be able to watch this uh, next video with you. Do you want to tee it up for... Uh, yeah, this is, this is to show what kind of trauma is in prison. And it's based on the adverse childhood experiences quiz, which we have on our website. Um, I have eight of the 10 and 64% of the men and women have at least six, uh, that we've surveyed in prison. So we're talking about trauma and it's not just, um, someone saying you're no good or someone hitting you. This is chronic, chronic constant trauma. It's called CPTSD. That's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with just, you know, someone got hit. This is serious. This is serious stuff. And if you look at that video and you only see a few, few um, examples of the ACE test in this, 
and what I want to just talk about is traumatic brain injury. Almost all the men um, stepped in for that for that um, issue. And when you don't, when you have traumatic brain injury, you're not able to modulate your impulses or your reactions to the world, which is basically it's damage to the prefrontal cortex, which is the same thing as being in fight or flight. It's a huge problem. Over 80% of the men and women in prison have TBI. And that's what we got to start looking at. Um, and st- it's a brain problem. It's not a moral problem. It's moral injury, but that's a whole different story. But it's not, they're not bad people. And I'm proving that, that I'm going to prove that until every man and woman gets the services they need. And we start looking at people in prison as part of our community, which they are. Thank you. to face their past with compassion? Is that a yes? While you were growing up during your first 18 years of life, if a parent or other adult in the household often or very often would swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you, step inside the circle. If a parent or other adult in the household often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or threw something at you, step inside the circle. If a parent or other adult in the household often or very often ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured, step inside the circle. If you often felt that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, step inside the circle. If your family lived in extreme poverty, step inside the circle. Step inside the circle. Step inside the circle. Step inside the circle. I was abused as a young girl. I was beaten by my mother. I was verbally abused by my mother. I was sexually abused by another man. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was a rageaholic. I've driven drunk. I've sold drugs. I was a juvenile delinquent. Probably my story is similar to most of your stories in here. I'm white and I'm female and I didn't, nothing happened to me. So, you know, I got a get out of jail free card. And so I'm here now because I see myself in every one of you. I'm a traumatized child, raised by a traumatized child. My mother was traumatized as well as her parents. Like he said, we wasn't born in the world of being evil people. My mother didn't want me. She hid her pregnancy. She tried to flush me down the toilet. But as I learned about these things, I always asked myself what was wrong with me. come to the circle and I see everybody else and she's reading off the questions and people stepping in further and I look at my childhood and I'm like a lot of these people in this yard are just like me. There was one step I should have taken that I didn't take and I saw some of my brothers and my friends take that step and I felt like such a coward 
You know, I wasn't brave enough to be there with them when they took that step. And um, every round after that, I, I took the most difficult step. Our traumas kept us separated. We were all on the circumference, all standing apart. But once we began to acknowledge our traumas publicly, it brought us all closer together. In prison, you're not supposed to show your weaknesses in prison, though. But to, 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 to want to do that, to walk in that circle like that, and to take each step forward was a reminder to ourselves that we still have a humanity and we worthy to be loved, though. Most people on the outside don't understand that we want to change so we can re-enter society better than what we left it. And I think one of the things that when you was yelling at no shame and you had us yelling it out, it was freeing us too. And it was a point to where when I was looking at that and we was all looking at it in a circle, you can hear that echo, no shame. Yes. And that was very powerful, especially coming from a little lady like you. <laughs> I'm 76 years old. I have seen a lot. I don't like talking. I like to meet people that understand what's happening without words, and you one of them. The day has been one of the best days I had in my whole entire life since I've been out here for Your true spirits are not violent. Your true spirits are magnificent. Hi, my name is Fritzi Horseman, founder of the Compassion Prison Project. Thank you so much for watching our promo for Step Inside the Circle. We're asking for donations so that we can continue our urgent and important work educating the public about the devastating effects of childhood trauma and bringing this awareness to the men, women, and children living in prison. Our mission is to transform prisons into places that focus on education, mental health, and rehabilitation. Your donations will help us advocate for trauma-informed care, community support, and a shift in the paradigm in how we incarcerate, isolate, and dehumanize the most traumatized members of our society. Thank you again for watching. Thank you, uh, Fritzy. Um, you know, the empathy button is turned on now in my life. And I know in James' life, too. So it's like the fifth time I've seen that and can't help watching without getting emotional. Because I know my story. I know James' stories. And I don't know the men in the video, but when 21 years in there, we heard a lot of stories. And everyone has a story. And... um I'm just so thankful that you're living out your vision to um, heal people. My friend Danny Contreras came on the show a while back, and he said, hurt people, hurt people, but heal people, heal people, heal people too. And um, it's just so powerful, and I'm, I'm so glad that we got to meet and that we're headed down this path of this conversation. You invited us to go with you into Salinas Valley, and I'm excited about it. Um, uh, because this is what's needed. You know, we have an aspect of what we do, a crop organization that's needed, and this is another major, major part that's needed. I'm, I'm just curious, uh, James' experience, I think this is the first time he saw it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's powerful. Um, it, it's just so true. And, you know, I, I love the part where the guy is explaining and just in detail of, you know, like when we're outside the circle, you know, and, and that's how we are in the world. You know, you got, you know, the regular average everyday Joe working nine to five, you know, knowing nothing about incarceration or whatever. And so he's willing to, you know, check whatever box, you know, lock them up, throw away the key, whatever. Um, then you got, you know, COs that go into prison, you know, and, you know, do that work. And they have to turn off their empathy. They have to turn off their thing just to survive, to go in there. Um, that's what they tell themselves. Um, you have inmates uh, or incarcerated individuals um, who, like the, the one young man said, has to turn off. Um, and the lie is that you can't show weakness, that you can't talk about these things. And so you look at it not just in prison but in our society as a whole, 
as long as we're having that type of conversation, we're all separated. But not until we start talking about the trauma that all of us have went through, regardless of what we look like, regardless of what neighborhoods we came from, and we start talking about that trauma, that brings us together. And then we can empathize with each other. And once, we, once someone sees another person as a human being, and not as a number, is not as a race, is not as a demographic, then, you know, empathy can happen. And then, you know, healing and um, just brotherhood and sisterhood could happen. Not, not until then. If you think back, um, Vietnam War, um, our soldiers were trained to see these human beings as less than them, as not human beings. And that was a way to get them to go over there and commit murder and, and, and kill these other individuals, right? But we saw it didn't work because when we came back, they had the highest rate of um, drugs, alcoholism, of suicide, of, you know, just dying of just young, 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 real young ages. It's the same thing that's going on now, like you said, not just with COs, because it does go on in prison, but also with law enforcement um, and firefighters and, and everybody else. Um, so we, we have to have this conversation. It's true. Empathy is, is the key. I mean, I love that you keep going back to empathy, but it's dehumanizing is, is trained. It's a trained thing. It's what officers are trained to do. They're trained. They're trained to see people that commit crimes as less than as, as not human. Um, and I'm, there's a Facebook group that I'm part of and I'm, I get to peer into the, the attitudes of the CEOs and what they're, what they've allowed themselves to think that um, that people are not human. And the thing is, you know, we are afraid. We are afraid of, of people that commit crimes, but we also know we are afraid of ourselves and who we are when we commit crime, when, when a crime is committed, we're afraid that we're, we can do that too. And I think that's why we put people away. What we put, um, we put people away because we're so afraid that this is us and, and it's the thing is when we when we heal people in prison. And by the way, I think hurt people also heal people. I don't think you have to be totally healed because I know I'm not completely healed and I'm completely hurt. You know, mm-hmm. so um, healing is possible from everybody. Mm-hmm. I maybe we should just say healing people heal people. <laughs> <right>. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's more accurate. Um, but. We, it's turning up the empathy and the, the awareness that we're traumatized. Um, and I just wanted to say that we have, we're writing a bill right now to bring, to bring trauma-informed prisons to California, but also to d- write another bill to bring wellness programs to the officers. Uh, because if they're in good shape, they're, they're not going to act out. And that's the thing that scares me the most because of the power dynamics that the people in, you know, I mean, it's actually two because I know that in prison, the incarcerated men and women allow officers to go home at night. So we know that the officers are always under threat if, if they don't watch their back. But when it's one against four officers, the power dynamics are really awful, awful. And they take advantage of it. I've heard story after story about what goes on and, you know, racism and, you know, people are being in Kern Valley, people are being sent to Pelican Bay almost every day. And most of those people are African-American. And I would argue who's sending all the African-Americans to Pelican Bay and how many officers are doing it? Is there one, is there 10 or is there two? I mean, what, who are those officers? And I don't really want to call out Kern Valley, but you know, these maximum security prisons, they need more programming. They need the most programming. They need the most help. And I would also argue that the officers are, are in big danger there. And, and so we really need to take care of them and bring the humanity. So there isn't this, I mean, if, if you were treated humanely, would you want to hurt an officer? I'm asking both of you. No. Because a lot of people grew up being treated inhumanely. So we're just extending their, their sentence from childhood. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to, um, like you said, like we, we did a lot of years in prison um, at different prisons. Um, I, you know, I opened up a couple of level four institutions. And so there are dangerous people there. 
Yeah, that's true. And I've noticed over the years, and it's not a science, but I've noticed this, that the majority of, you know, correctional officers that don't, that just treat people as human beings, right? And I'm not saying that they, you know, bring them in cupcakes or they, you know, they, they bend the rules or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I'm saying they just come in, they do it's their decency. eight hours, um, you know, they don't talk down on you for any reason, they don't go out their way to harass you, to go in your cell and tear up your only possessions that you have in your life, like a picture <laughs> of your child or, or whatever it is that you might not have ever even saw in person. Um, those COs don't live under the same fear as other COs, and that, th- that's just a fact. Yeah. Um, the the majority of COs that you see that and you can you can trace them back that they'll have a lot of six o twos against them they'll have a lot of reports that were unanswered um, because they went out their way to harass people and in doing so they created the environment that you know brought about their fears yeah and the people they're destroying property those that's like I heard of one guy who ha- who had his parents had just bought him a new pair of shoes. It was an expensive pair of shoes and the guy just threw it away. And just the heartbreak that I experienced watching him lose, you know, this is their parents don't have a lot of money. So we can't just do this willy nilly. Like it's okay to destroy property. I mean, I think a person's property should be sacred. You know, I would also argue destroying someone's property is a trauma response. It is, it is, basically robbery. Um, and that's one of the things I've done is I created an adverse prison experiences quiz. I've never used it, but I created one because I really wanted to see, you know, when you walk into prison, you're told to strip down and um, basically you're being raped. You know, that's, that's your, your first, you know, contact with the prison system is your, is a rape essentially. It's humiliating. It's your body parts. It's derogatory. And then, um, it, it just continues on from there, the dehumanization. And, you know, you, you see murders, you see suicides. Now, su- suicides are also, we can prevent them by bringing hope to people. But if you don't give anyone hope, that's a sen- in a sense murder. And, of course, we have the death penalty in California. So um, the death penalty is condoned murder. And who are we? ever to to destroy another life because to me everyone has possibility everybody can be redeemed i don't care if you're jesus or if you're christian or if you're muslim everybody all religions say the human spirit is redeemable Mm. and and um there's the golden rule they all the religions have is do unto others and so when did we forget those rules when we, when we built prisons. And so I think it's just to restore our own, our own sense of humanity and, and, and love. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fritzy, James and I, and our, and a lot of our friends and our, our team at crop at Soledad, we took a strong stance for uh, personal accountability, personal responsibility, we talked about this on the phone before, and I'd love for you to, to share your um, your thoughts here about this. And um, because some people will think that this conversation is negating responsibility and negate, negating personal choice. And and we made it we tra- we made it our vision to transform the culture of prison by saying, look, we acknowledge and we didn't have the skills or the, the brain science that you have. And I'd like you to speak to that a little bit as well. But. Um, to to address all of the trauma. But what we did say was, let's look at what our part was. What was your contribution? What were your choices? How were you relating to your beliefs back then? What type of thinking did you have? Are you willing to own your part so that you can get out of here one day and get freedom and take personal responsibility? And the other thing that we would say is, is that we have definitely seen some who have used their trauma story, real uh, real stories, as an excuse to justify continuing in criminality. And, um, and there are other prisons who, who put a lot of focus on uh, the trauma work and we weren't, you know, and that doesn't mean we, we put it on the hardcore personal responsibility stance. And yet we're definitely wise enough, smart enough to know that people need both. 
people need both and and probably what you're doing needs to be done first um and um so i would just like you to to to, to speak to that from your perspective and also some of the brain science that most people don't know about about trauma awesome um so accountability to me is one of the things it's the only way we can um we can move forward um when we commit a crime, when we've harmed somebody, we have to, we have to, first of all, accept that we did this and we can get into the brain science in a second because part of us doesn't even know that we're doing it. And that's, that's the hard part about accountability is people don't even want to accept that they did it because like sometimes I'll yell at my son and I don't even know I'm doing it. And then I, I come back to reality. I come back to my cortex. Okay, let's do the brain science. So all day long, the brainstem is is watching the world, the world around you for threat, for making sure that it's safe. The brainstem's job is to keep you safe. It's the it's the first part of your brain that develops in in when you're in, in vitro with your mother. And then, um, if there's a threat, if the brain senses there's a threat, it it activates the amygdala, the amygdala, which is this little almond shaped thing in the back of your brain. The amygdala sends a signal to the body that we're in threat. There's a bear. There's a bear coming. We either have to get out of the way or we have to fight or we can freeze. Those are our, and then there's fawn and foul, fl- uh, fall, but we'll just talk about fight, fight, flight. So you get activated. Um, and what it does, the amygdala sends adrenaline and cortisol throughout your body. So you can, you know, get really out of there. It shuts down digestion and it shuts down the cortex, the prefrontal cortex. And this part is part of wisdom. This this part rules morality, m- rules the understanding of right from wrong. It understands what something is in somebody's hand. Is that a gun or is that a cell phone? You know, we've heard of a cop killing a guy because he thought he was holding a gun, but it was a cell phone. But he was in fight or flight, you know. And so when crimes are committed, if you move if you make a move when you're in confrontation with someone in fight or flight and they've got a gun, you could be dead. You could just be dead because he was, he thinks you're moving to get your gun and he just fires. He doesn't want to, you know, he comes back to reality. The cortex comes back online and he's like, what did I just do? I mean, I have a story of a man who was up five days. So he was basically insane already. His, his girlfriend said he was, was leaving him. That was his biggest fear. Next thing he knows, he's murdered both his girlfriend and his infant child, stabbed the infant with a knife. And a cop came up to him and the guy said, please tell me I was dreaming. Please tell me I was dreaming. And this man still, I said, you've got to forgive yourself. And he says, I can't forgive myself because that would condone what I've done. But he was in a blackout, basically. He had he had this had gone offline. So he didn't even know what he was doing. And I'm not saying that everyone who commits a crime isn't accountable. I'm saying this is what happens to the brain. And that's why we need this brain science out there in the world. So we know, and I know officers know this. I know they know, they know they have to deescalate themselves and count to 10 before they do something. But, you know, when you're in the height of action, it's very hard to do that. Same with when you're living in a a stressful household and you see your father beating up your mother and, and why is he doing that to somebody he loves? Because the body thinks that wife is a threat. She may have said something, some, a critic, something critical, or she said, why didn't, you know, do we have money for food? And he just goes up and he goes into a rage and it is this science that needs to get into the hands of everybody in prison, both the officers and the, and the incarcerated, because when the incarcerated knows and it, it doesn't take away the blame, but it takes away the fierce, the fierce, fierce um, shame that goes with committing the crime because part of committing the crime, you're in a gang, you have, you have done all, you have all made all these decisions to get you to that place of being in a crime. And that's to me is where the big accountability comes. Cause you're right. You're at the right place at the right time for that crime. Mm-hmm. So you put, you set yourself up for this knowing, and this was, this is where you betrayed yourself. This is where the betrayal comes. You knew every step along the way that this was not what I should be doing. And we all know 
we all have a true north and it's we have to follow the true north but then so so we've done the crime forgiveness is key here forgiveness to me is part of accountability because forgiveness is about reclaiming your humanity for yourself and the only way you can bring in the empathy is if you've reclaimed your own humanity and knowing that you're human, knowing you're here in a dual world, this is a dual world, right and wrong, good and bad, male and female. This is a dual world. And the only way we can reconcile the good with the bad is the crime and the forgiveness. And that goes for everybody in society. We have to bring it together. We bring it together and then we're whole again. We are one. We're back to one. And it's a separation that trauma does that keeps us from ourselves, keeps us from our family, keeps us from our community. And so one, the thing we have at Compassion Prison Project is the Giving Back Project. And it's our, it's our accountability piece. And it's a harm has been committed. Something has to be done. What can we do? And probably the best example of a Giving Back Project is what Jason, Jason and Ted did with... Um, the $30,000 they raised for the student. Um, that's a prime example of the giving back project. That is a, acknowledging where you're at, what you've done. And by golly, I got to figure something out and give back. And that's what I want to, I want to bring that idea to everyone in prison is how can I give back? I mean, guys at Kern Valley raised $2,000 for breast cancer. And one of the thoughts I had is what if we, as a globe, as a, it, like starting in California for next Christmas is raised a million dollars, raised a million dollars in all 35 California prisons, get everyone on board and have matching funds. Let's have, let's get people to match it. So we raise a million dollars for the boys and girls clubs in all the, in all the communities where all those prisons are. Mm-hmm. So we build the bridge right back to that prison community. So that, that we show that, the people in Madera, um, where Valley State Prison is, people in Kern Valley, where Kern Valley State Prison is, we show that community we care. But, I mean, imagine if we raised a million dollars, what that would say to the world also. It's like we have to change hearts and minds. It's the only way anything is going to change. But it's hearts and minds inside and it's hearts and minds outside. So the giving back is is the accountability. It's the only thing people in prison can do is start from now because they can't change the past. Right. So you, you acknowledge where you are in this moment. What can I do? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that I'm doing. What can I do? You know, I've committed harms. It's, I'm not as, my giving back is more about my a sense of obligation, my sense of privilege and my sense of, I see something wrong. I have to do it. I see something. I must do something. Yeah. So it's slightly different, but it's the, it's the same. We call that a uh, living amends. Yes. Yeah. Living amends and uh, as a way of being, as a lifestyle. And there's healing, empowerment, in service. I mean, truly get get busy being of service. We used to do uh, around Christmas. We I'd get anybody in the building that we used to live in. Hey, can you give five bucks, ten bucks? We're putting together Christmas packages. And we'd probably get three or four hundred dollars and go buy coffee, cocoa, cookies, um, and then create bags for the guys who didn't have anything and then go <gasps> go to their cells <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, go go tell, hey, man, and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, um, we just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and tell you we love you. And, and my cell used to play guitar, <laughs> so he would sing outside the cell sometimes and play, play Feliz Navidad or something just to brighten them up. And, um, you know, that. I believe that that doing that for 10 years let, helped us, uh, helped me heal. And, and everybody that gave felt good about it, felt great about it. Then we go to the back of the building and, and bring coffee and cocoa oh. and cookies. And, and we'd all just form a little community out there. And, um, and James could speak to that. But you're doing that by with your program. You're creating a new community. And, you know, 3% of the budget, you know, $16.9 billion in CDCR. And only 3% is towards rehabilitative programming a third of that going to mental health programs, a third going to the education GED program, and a third going to like, like trades and vocations. I mean, it's nothing. And um, if, if even 3% was another 3% put towards this, 
and it would change the change everything. But we definitely believe in more than three percent. Yeah, definitely. And um, and so I, I like what she said earlier when, when she was talking, and then you um said, hey, that her her, you know, the healing, the um dealing with the trauma should come first before the accountability conversation, right? Because you got to know what you did. Like she said, most people don't even know what they're doing. You got to know what you did to take accountability for it. Um, and it's the same thing with these programs, right? Um. Yep. You got so much – look, work is great, right? And guess what? There's jobs out here right now. <laughs> I mean, everywhere I go, there's for, for hire, for hire, for hire. We need somebody. Um, I work at an agency that finds jobs for people, and they're out here. And if I'm still traumatized, if I'm still doing, you know, uh, in my criminality, in my trauma, whatever it is, then you getting me a job is not going to change my life. You know, um, it, it might sustain me for a minute. It might help me for a minute. But overall, it's not going to help me in the long run. And so I'm all with, um, you know, you know, pouring money into trades, you know, get get guys geared up and women to have jobs and be successful when they come out. I'm all with education. Get them geared up. Get them, you know, ready. Get a, get them a diploma. Get them ready to come out here. Get them tech jobs. Get them, you know, construction jobs, whatever they want to do. I'm all with that. But in, unless you deal with the core issues that got them to doing what they're going to do, all of that is, is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to know your triggers because that's the thing is you if you're still traumatized and you're not aware of it, you're not aware of what's going to make you react. Suddenly you've got you've got a, a you know, you've got a live wire out there like a, a potential bomb. So you really want people to know that they're traumatized. No. The minute I read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk and I realized that my behavior was due to my trauma, it wasn't due to who I was, everything changed. And then I could start finding out what made me, what was making me tick. Why was I yelling at my son? Because he was trying to use my cell phone. It's because it was chaos. It's like, I can't deal with chaos. So now I'm able to, I can bring it down and and I'm not reactive like I was. But you know, people in prison are reactive because they're on, they're in fight or flight all the time. You cannot, you cannot really relax or really get a good night's sleep in prison. And you got to take it down. You got to take the threat level down. You got to stop that noise at 12 o'clock so people can sleep, let them sleep till 8am or whatever it is, whatever that eight hours, they need the eight hours so they can be human. Same with the officers. So it's really, it's like a, it's a holistic thing we got to bring to prisons. And I'd argue to the United to the rest of the world, because I mean, you know, we're talking in Kenya, people are so traumatized there again, rape and, and child abuse and, you know, divorce, but also know that neglect is one of the worst things you can do to a child, um, which is the same thing as solitary confinement, because humans we're we're social creatures and we need the mirroring. We need to say, Hey, does this sound right? I should kill the CO out there who's keeping me in bondage. Or, and someone will say, no, that doesn't sound right. He's just a good guy. He has to go to his family. But if you don't hear that and all your thoughts are just that thing, I mean, they let a guy out of prison straight from solitary and he went and murdered the warden. Wow. And that's it. This was in Colorado. This is what we're talking about. We need to take care of our community and our community is part is part of our community is in prison. It's a holistic, it's holistic. I take care of you. I take care of the people in prison. I'm taking care of myself because, you know, what happened in Wisconsin the other night in the parade, that hurt me too. That's part of me. I got injured from that and everything matters. And that's the thing is my accountability goes to the world. My responsibility is for everything. And maybe I can't, maybe I can't help the person that's homeless five blocks away because I don't know he's there, but I know something wrong is happening. I know, I know my reach needs to reach to everyone because I'm not, I'm not healed until everyone's healed. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. It's just impossible. It reminds me of the quote that says, uh, um, I am but one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. You know, Fritzy, uh, we got about five minutes here, but I, I think about the guy in the video who said, you know, I always ask myself, what was wrong with me? What was, what's wrong with me? 
I remember asking myself that question. I remember hearing guys say that. You know, get going going for my mom's when she got married. My new stepdad's old fashioned Mexican dude. He's like boys outside, girls inside. All the affection, love, attention that I used to have up until ten and a half years old. My mom was snatched away, and then you can't be around no more. You can't sit next to her next to the couch because that's being gay or whatever, and 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 that's being weak and all that snatched away. And then and then going from aunt to aunt to different places, and always thinking like, man, what's wrong with me? How come nobody? How can I mess everything up? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I've heard that so many times in there and you can't figure it out. And, um, and so, um, I, I could really empathize with him. And then the older guy that says, you know, I don't like to talk, but I, I like to hear people like you who are willing to hear our stories and, and hear our plight. And, um, you know, there's just so there, there, there's so much healing that needs to be done. Um, so, uh, yeah, and the 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 real question is is what happened to you? It's not there's nothing wrong with you. That that's a book written by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry, who's on my podcast. And th- that question is so important because there is nothing wrong with you. We're all beautiful, beautiful people. Even the like as you said, James, the, there are bad people in prison. Um, let's look at their brains. Let's see what what happened to their brain because. They're not bad people. Something terrible, horrible happened to them. Yeah, you say that the, the most traumatized people of society are, are basically being put in this one place. Now, they, they had their contribution to why they're there, but let's get them the help so that they don't continue on with their criminality. Right, because uh-huh. with you know the recidivism rate at 66% after three years, that means two more crimes are being committed for every three people that are being let out. And that's not creating safety. That's not creating a functioning society. Yeah. That's that's just creating more crime. And yeah. so, you know, prisons do not create public safety. <laughs> no. no, no, they don't. <laughs> and um, what, one of the things that um, I, I believe is part of this conversation, and I believe you bring it out, um, there's a lot of people that don't want to talk about helping, you know, people that have committed crimes, obviously. You know, they're like, hey, they're, they're evil. Get, get rid of them. Don't, don't ever let them out. Um, no one wants to help the abusers. Um, when you think, think about like domestic violence cases, you know, there's a lot of programs out there for the, for the women, rightfully so there should be. Um, however, the conversation that I have in those circles is this, as long as we do not address the issues that, um, have people creating, you know, committing these crimes, committing this abuse, you will always have victims. So you're keeping yourself in work by continuing to have that perspective. And so not until you address, you know, why did this guy commit this crime? Why did he do this? And then work ways to stop those type of uh, things from happening, then you'll have less victims. Yeah, and and, and, and you said it yourself, Fritzy, uh, 95% are coming home. So to my neighbor, my neighbor out there listening to the show, 95% 95% are coming home and, and, and they'll be your neighbor and your family's neighbors and what type of person you want. Yeah. You know, you want the person that's had the opportunity to get some healing for this trauma, to have it addressed and also vocational opportunities and educational opportunities to come out and, and, and be ready to hit the ground running to be a productive and awesome member of society. Or the person just comes out that, that, that you will perpetuate by, um, Holding on to the perspective that you have. I mean, you can hold it, but 95% come home and, and look at the results that you've been getting. It ain't working. Mm. No. And no. That's, that's, that's such an opportunity for all of us. Because I believe if we heal the people in prison, we really get to show the world how it's done. That's right. <laughs> no shame. But no shame. Last minute, Fritzy. Um, there's a, I'll leave the last minute to you. You could reach out to Fritzy at Compassion Prison Project at info at CompassionPrisonProject.org. Donate at, on her website there as well. And maybe you could speak to some of the, some of the causes you're raising money for. Um, you have a quote that says, understanding childhood trauma allows us to shift from judgment and blame to understanding and compassion. It has been said that if childhood abuse and neglect were to disappear today, the DSM manual, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, would shrink to the size of a pamphlet. And in two generations, prisons would be empty. That's by Donna Jackson Nakazawa. Um, 
I would just ask that we all take a look at our own violence, um, the the violence that the residual violence of our childhood, where in where we're speaking badly to each to each other, speaking badly to ourselves, where we're not being considerate and kind to everyone. Um, that's our opportunity, and it's no shame if if it comes out, but let's start really looking at it because if we want to change the world, it starts with us. It starts with our own actions, um, our own actions to each other. And, you know, I don't care what side of the line you are. If you're, if you're democratic or Republican, honor the other people, because this division is deliberate. They want us to hate each other. They want us to fight because it keeps us occupied in, in fighting and not healing. And so let's, let's leave our divisions behind and get together and really find out what we can do to get this society together and heal. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. It's, it's been an honor. Um, appreciate everything you're doing. Um, again, I believe this is one, probably one of the most important conversations we're going to have, um, not just about prisons, but in a, for our society in general. So appreciate everything you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank James. You. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for coming and being with me today, James. Yeah, thank you. Uh, God had a plan. And thank you so much, Fritzy, for being on the Prison Post. We're just so grateful for you and look forward to seeing you in December. Oh, it's such an honor, Richard. Thank you so much. I love you guys. I love you and all of the men at CROP. I'm, I cannot wait to see what we do that day. Awesome. Uh, me neither. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of the Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our videocast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.